One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio as we careen towards yet another big summer weekend filled with joy and optimism. Uh, the good news this weekend, of course, is that it's not Glastonbury weekend, so you won't have to sit in front of the TV and be absolutely bored senseless uh, by band after band after band, virtue signaler after virtue signaler telling you how brilliant they all are, telling you how green they all are, and telling you how marvellous it is to save the planet uh, from a very small dairy farm somewhere uh, in Somerset. After a week of revelations about the world's most unpopular royal couple, Meghan Markle finally broke cover yesterday. She took time out of her busy maternity leave schedule to head for Wimbledon, uh, where she was showing support for her good friend, Serena Williams, another millionaire tennis player. Obviously, her diary is very full, too full, in fact, to liaise with the Queen over the secret christening of baby Archie. Apparently, her Madge won't be there this weekend because she's got a prior engagement, in inverted commas. If you ever needed more evidence that all is not well in the royal house- household, this is it. I mean, you have a christening for your child and the Queen can't make it. Seriously? 03444991000. Maybe make it on another day so that the monarch, uh, the head of this country, the Queen of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom, the mother of the Commonwealth, the person who is in fact the great-grandmother to your son Archie, the person who in fact has been the head of state for the longest in the history of this entire nation and has been the head of state of a country for longer than any other head of state anywhere in the history of the world... Maybe just make it on Monday so she could come, wouldn't you? Meanwhile, this morning, we're going after the Extinction Rebellion crowd once again because they have all recovered from their weekend of taking drugs and virtue signalling down at Glastonbury, and they've got a new plan. Rather disappointingly, it's very similar to the old plan. They're going to fly out of drones at Heathrow Airport to disrupt people's holidays over the summer. Can we not round all these idiots up and send them on a one-way ticket to Stromboli, uh, which is where, of course, there's a massive volcano erupting at the moment? Or maybe California, where they had an earthquake yesterday, which I'm pretty sure had nothing to do with climate change. It's the old tectonic plates, don't you know? Nothing to do with driving around in a diesel-fueled Jaguar. 03444991000. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll be finding out why Andy Burnham thinks Northerners are different from everyone else. I want to hear from a lot of you people up there in the north of this country, because Andy Burnham makes out that you're some kind of special uh, species of man and woman. 
How can you be any different from everybody else? We're also going to find out why public health chiefs think it's a good idea to bury people along the sides of a motorway. Uh, and because it's Friday, of course, we will have another refreshing round of the Perrier Awards, an homage to another excellent week of broadcasting here in the Independent Republic. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you might recall that earlier this week we were informed that the last time the Extinction Rebellion maniacs turned up in uh, London, decided to blockade uh, a bridge down by Waterloo, decided to uh, sort of hang about in a bunch of tents up by Marble Arch, decided to completely bring Oxford Circus to a standstill, uh, attempted to go and uh, close down Heathrow, didn't work terribly well. That cost us a round figure of around about 16 million quid. They're now claiming that they're going to disrupt flights out of Heathrow over the course of the summer but they're not going to really damage the possibility of anybody's life. They're not going to bring any planes down. They're just going to threaten to put drones up, which will mean that all planes and all activity at the airport will be shut down. They claim that that's OK because they'll be giving plenty of notice. I say that is not OK. I say it is tantamount uh, to blackmail. I say it is tantamount to terrorism. And I say that Extinction Rebellion should be outlawed. And at the very least, they should have all of their assets seized and have the 16 million, or as close as possible to the 16 million, returned to the public coffers because they are more than a nuisance now. They are actually an unlawful band of outlaws. And I say they should all be chucked into prison. Will Geddes is here. He's a security expert. Let's find out what he makes of it. Will, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, sir. Now, I'm sorry to be worked up about these so-called middle-class, you know, sons and daughters of the wealthy who think that it's all great fun to glue themselves to roadways. But, you know, it's sorry, it's beyond a joke now, isn't it? Well, you know what, Mike? I'm entirely on the same side and same script as you. Um, I, I, You know... Nobody is opposed to trying to take best efforts, obviously, to reduce uh, the you know climate change and to try and make this a better planet for us and you know those that go on beyond us when we're old bones. But there's a ways and means of doing it, and the argument, which I think is kind of feeble, is that they can fundamentally try and bring the country to a halt to impose their will. Now there are other groups out there that have weird and wonderful agendas that try to impose their will. And sometimes we call them terrorists, but I'm not necessarily saying Extinction Rebellion are those, but let's look at some of the tactics they're employing, Mike. And I think this does fall potentially into the realms of extortion. Well, exactly right. And the fact is, it's all very well to say, oh, but, you know, we're not actually going to put any drones up, which would um, endanger life and limb and which would endanger flights and could bring planes down, that we're just going to threaten to do it. Well, surely that's no different from ringing up an airport and pretending that there's a bomb scare. Well, your intelligence is slightly different to mine, Mike, because from what I'm hearing is that they have a number of volunteers who are already volunteering to assist them in this campaign, where they will be flying their drones at about six feet off the ground, albeit within the five-kilometre exclusion zone around Heathrow Airport, which by itself is a risk. They wouldn't have a five-kilometre sort of uh, exclusion zone unless it needed to have one. Uh, But also having operated drones myself, I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any shape or form, but I've done it a fair few times. These things are not a precise science. Mm. And unless you are a professional licensed drone operator, these things, although they do generally work off a GPS holding position, so i.e. it balances out the craft against seven or eight odd satellites, that is not necessarily impervious to magnetic interference, which could mean these things could just shoot out of your control and fly off into the air 
beyond that six feet. So it's a reckless plan at best, Mike. Well, it really is, and it's very ill-thought-out, and it's very selfish, which is entirely in keeping with the way that these Muppets operate. Because, as I said in the uh, in the intro to the show, we've got a massive uh, volcano going off in Sicily at the moment, Stromboli, just off the uh, the coast of Italy. Uh, we've had an earthquake in California. Neither of these events, which are pretty seismic, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, have anything to do with climate change. No, absolutely. And we look at, as you referred to, the cost of this particular um, uh, campaign or this, uh, this, this, this particular activism that Extinction Rebellion are looking to threaten. You know, bear in mind that there was, in addition to the cost that you mentioned, of the disruption to Gatwick Airport, there was the additional police costs, which were almost half a million yeah. through that entire period, trying to determine, obviously, who was responsible. Now, they have got better technology in place. I can't go into details to what they've got. But if you're looking at a number of people rather than a single individual that are being threatened to launching drones in the area, I would dispute, number one, firstly, their capability and expertise to be able to do this responsibly. And secondly, Mike, a little bit like other groups that carry out these activisms, they cannot necessarily verify that within their midst there could be those with malintent and those that have their own sub-agenda for potentially disrupting the airport. So what they're providing is an umbrella coverage to other individuals that could cause some serious damage. Yeah, and I mean, that's over and above whatever the economic damage might be, and also just the kind of general wear and tear and trauma uh, of people trying to fly off on holiday with their kids who have created nothing but wealth for this country, who have created no problems whatsoever, and who are being punished by these bozos who seem to think it's their God-given right to do whatever they want. Well, I'm sorry, it's not their God-given right. Heathrow Airport is a private property. Heathrow Airport should be protected by not only their own security, but by the nation's security. And I think we are within our rights, are we not, to designate Extinction Rebellion as a hostile force and go in after them before it happens. I think so. Uh, you know, Mike, I, I have to agree. You know, I, I'm all for fair demonstration and protest. And I think, yes, absolutely directed in the right way. This will bring the general public on side. But I think this is counterproductive. As you rightly say, OK, they're gracious enough to give a two-month notice period so people can rearrange their holidays. There are many, many people out there who may only have one holiday a year and they only have that window. Yeah, and it's already booked. So they can't just go, oh, I don't want to fly from Heathrow anymore. No, absolutely. And this group is basically threatening for their own personal and private agenda, which they believe is a collective and universal belief that they can disrupt those people, ruin their annual holiday. And not forgetting that Heathrow being obviously the busiest international airport in the world, Mike, there is a lot of business that's going to be impacted. People who are looking for business overseas, people who are trying to get to relatives, sick, mm. healthy or otherwise. You know, these people with their agenda, I think it's only going to grow more enemies than alliances. And the biggest problem for me as well, Will, is that the government recognised these bozos, right? They invited them into Parliament. Michael Gove sat down with them, uh, with these kind of spotty teenagers, and said, oh, yes, we must talk about climate change. And then Theresa May declared, without really any kind of uh, offering to the public or to her constituents or to anyone who lives in the country, oh, that we're now in the midst of a climate emergency and we're going to definitely uh, ensure that we are carbon neutral uh, and there will be zero emissions by 2050. I mean, that's why they've been encouraged, these idiots. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and, you know, I think we do have to do things, Mike. I think that, that, that's given as read. But I think it's the way about we, uh, the way we're going about it. I mean, we look at Greenpeace's 
uh, demonstration with Mark Field, which obviously was the fallout from that uh, against Mansion House. But at that actual dinner was Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, who had delivered a speech only the night before, mm. apparently, about the fantastic changes and efforts and, in, and initiatives that are being introduced to obviously reduce our carbon footprint, to reduce our, our uh, pollution, obviously, of the years and make drastic changes to climate change. So, you know, it's at what point does this really become a very selfish agenda for a group that wants to put their name on the map? And where does it actually best service everybody that they believe it's supposedly? It's, it's almost too righteous, Mike. And I, I go back to the point we mentioned earlier. If you had, as we did many decades ago, the provisional IRA calling in a threat that they were going to disrupt yeah. a particular location with a bomb, that was treated as terrorism. Yeah, because it's a, crim- it's a criminal act. It is a criminal act. I mean, if, you, if I pick up the telephone now and ring Waterloo Station and say, you know, because of climate change, uh, I'm going to plant a bomb in your, uh, in your station, the fact that I'm never going to do that doesn't prevent it from being a crime. No, absolutely. And also the impact to the business, the yeah. operations, the safety and everything else. And we're not talking... I mean, your, your example of Waterloo Station is a great one, but let's imagine all the, those trains are now in the air and they're all trying to move around yeah. the chessboard... Uh, by the air traffic controllers, and now you're introducing a uh, another element, a potentially malicious element that could cause considerable chaos. Exactly. Now you work in the security business, Will. Here's a question for you: How do you deal with an organisation like Extinction Rebellion, which is, on the face of it, a peaceful kind of you know uh, anti-establishment operation which seeks to disrupt and not to kill? But effectively, it's a sort of civil terrorism organisation. How do you deal with that kind of organisation? Um, with because obviously you can't deal with it in the same way that you would deal with the IRA or ISIS. But you know, what do you do? Oh, Mike, that that that's the sixty-four million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a really tricky one. People have got the right to protest. They should have the right to protest. But I think people need to protest responsibly. Yeah. I think there need to be a few more gray gray cells within their organisation and their strategy to look at. How can we achieve our aim by the best means possible with the maximum publicity that is going to be positive in its outcome and achieve our objective? Going in there and just upsetting and, you know, I was going to use a rude word. I I won't, Mike. Good. Uh, But basically upsetting people by their actions, disrupting London, disrupting business, disrupting people trying to get to hospitals, people trying to go on their holidays. Really, is that going to achieve the aim? And I think the problem is, is that you can't necessarily fix stupid. No, you absolutely can't. But maybe what we should be doing uh, is infiltrating the organisation and destroying it from within. How about that? I mean, we glue well, some of them to things that they didn't want to be glued to. <laughs> you never know. There might, some, there might be some of that going on, Mike. You never know. But I think certainly these sort of groups, they have to be monitored because it doesn't take an awful lot that the well-meaning, well-meaning founders who established them in the first instances may have been infiltrated themselves by others that do have other agendas and do wish to to intend harm to other individuals. So, you know, the problem is, is that they don't vet their own people. It's an open arm, you know, community, which obviously tries to embrace Mm. anybody who has a similar mindset. However, one's got to look at the leaders, the people who are leading it. And I think people have, you know, almost the authorities have to sit down with them. And I know they've, they've probably tried on numerous occasions and sat down and said, look, how can we help you achieve your aim but really to everybody's best interest. Because I think only over time, the more negative publicity they're going to get, that, like we've said, is just going to diminish their support. It really is. And it's going to isolate it to those that really are on the outskirts of society, 
So really, nobody cares about Mike. Yeah, Sorry exactly. No, you're absolutely right, Will. Thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. Will Geddes there, security expert, security consultant. I'm asking him what it is that you can do to fight these people, these people who are determined to misrepresent the rest of the public. I'm not interested in whether there's a climate emergency. I'm not interested in whether they would like to glue themselves to anything or put a drone up at Heathrow or threaten to put a drone up at Heathrow. They are operating as if they are a terrorist organisation, creating mayhem, creating panic, creating disappointment, doing away with people's holiday plans. Absolutely and utterly ridiculous. I say it's time to seize their assets. I say it's time to go after them financially because they've got plenty of wealthy backers. Don't forget, let's go and get the 16 million for a start that it cost us the last time they came into London and let us make it very clear that if they do anything to disrupt travel plans for decent, ordinary families going on holiday during the summer, they will get arrested and they will get very badly treated indeed. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, listen, one of the things we pride ourselves on here at Talk Radio, and certainly in the Independent Republic, is that we do not discriminate against anyone. We don't care what your sexuality is. We don't don't care what your gender is we don't care what your geographical location is we don't really care what age you are we expect to be treated with respect and we tr expect everybody else to treat everybody else with respect but andy burnham uh, is the mayor of manchester he's a former uh, labor cabinet minister former front bencher for the labor party i think probably at one point would have fancied himself as the leader of the labor party but he's gone on a different route but he's given an interview interview to gq magazine in which he basically says um, that in london Northerners are discriminated against. In the world of politics, in the world of Westminster, only one Northerner has ever made it into 10 Downing Street, and that's Harold Wilson, the Labour leader from the 1960s. Let's talk uh, to Daryl Morris, a man uh, who was on talk radio only last weekend, he might be on this weekend, uh, to find out if he thinks this is true. Daryl, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks for joining us. Now, um, Andy Burnham's an interesting bloke because he's a guy who has promised to come on my show more than twice in uh, the past recent, I would say, six months and never done so. He's always uh -huh. too busy. He didn't want to come on today. Uh, and I'm not saying that you're a poor man's Andy Burnham. But it's an odd thing to say, isn't it, that he, he seems to think Northerners are different from everybody else, are they? I think I'll probably take poor man's Andy Burnham, to be honest, uh, Mike, <laughs> at this point. Uh, take what you can get. Um, I think so, yes. And I think that it's probably worth putting it into the context of, of how that happens. Right. Because I think that we can, we, we use the word, Andy Burnham uses the word discrimination. And um, it, sounds, uh, it sounds like quite a, um, a steep mountain, doesn't it? It sounds like, it sounds quite a, quite a dramatic term. Well, it sounds like it's organised almost, you know, which I don't think well, it is. No, that's exactly it. You're exactly right, Mike. It isn't organised. It isn't organised at all. I don't think that it's done by people knowingly or purposefully. I think that London has, because I, so I do a little bit of work in between Manchester and London, as you mentioned. Right. So I'm, I'm in London quite regularly to, to, to do things like being on talk radio. And I find that when I'm in the city, that the city has its own rhythm and it's, it has its own movements. And sometimes, as a northerner, it can be really hard to keep up with that rhythm and to, sl and to slot into that rhythm. And that can be everything from the busyness of it, mm. the way that people interact with each other, um, to what's expected of you and how you kind of stand out and how you perform. Um, and, th and, and things like that. And that ultimately ends up leaving people behind. And is that any different, though, to when you go to any massive big city? Because, I mean, I've been to Manchester a few times. I don't know it very well. I wouldn't pretend to. But it's quite, it feels to me like quite a small city. It doesn't feel like a, a massive city like London or Paris or New York. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It doesn't feel like a massively international place. It feels quite quite nice, but but not sort of dangerous, if you know what I mean. No, I think it's got a bit of a bit of both actually, Manchester. I think it's I think it's at a point now where 
um, it, it is quite international and it's quite it's very very cosmopolitan. Yeah. And it's it's becoming very London, but it's also retaining that northern charm um, and that northern wit and grit that we've kind of that we that we talk about and that we're so proud of actually. Those people who are from up here. Um, that sort of civic pride that we have in the city and all those elements. Um, yeah, I think it's probably. I think. I think. I think that y- you say, is it any different to go into to another city or to cities outside of London? I think London is the most intense, um, hus- uh, inhospitable uh, example for a northerner. Mm. I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't think. It's, I don't think. It's, I but think is it's that maybe for anyone could... though? Is it not possibly? I mean, in some way, inhospitable for all people who come from somewhere else, if you like. Um, yes, I think so to a degree. I think that if you come from somewhere though, that's like New York or uh, or on the continent, somewhere like Barcelona or Paris or Berlin, they are much more aligned to London. They have, a, I think, they have a probably relatively similar um, rhythm to them. And obviously, when you're coming from when you're coming from abroad, there's all sorts of uh, cultural hurdles to, yeah. to get yourself through. Um, I mean, I think the interesting I, thing about I lived in New York for ten years, and everyone who lived in New York at that time, and I suspect it hasn't changed, was basically from New York. That nobody cared where you originally came from because nobody really, yeah. hardly anyone anywhere, originally came from New York. But I think London. I was born in London, so I consider myself to be a Londoner, and I don't consider consider people who live in London to be Londoners unless they were born here. Yeah, yeah. That's, so there's a that's, difference, that's you know? Yeah, that's true, that's true. And I think that we, here, whereas in Manchester, um, I would argue that we have the opposite outlook. There's a, there's a famous line from a poem that was um, written and performed after the Manchester attack a couple of years ago that mm. said something along the lines of, uh, born here or drawn here, we all call it home. Right. And and that's, you know, that's something that I think I'm really proud, that, that I'm really proud of in Manchester and that we're really proud of and isn't replicated in London. It doesn't feel like home. Uh, for you, not that we're looking for a home, but it does make settling into the rhythm of it really hard. Yeah, which also, you know, which ultimately, and and, and I think I would I would stress that that's not um, anybody's fault. You know, these prejudices are often subconscious, um, but 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 they are there, and it does make it quite. It makes it tough. It's tough. It is tough. But then again, if you look on, say, uh, the radio stations of this country, and I don't mean just talk radio, uh, but but even talk sports, some of the BBC stations, certainly BBC television, since they all decamped up to uh, up to Salford. You know, there's a lot more northern voices now on BBC than than there are southern voices. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I think well, I'd be, I hate it, frankly. <laughs> Well, you watch BBC Breakfast and it can be like watching Northwest Tonight sometimes. Well, it's um, like watching Northwest Tonight in a sixth form common room. I find it <laughs> ghastly. <laughs> no, well, I, I like it. I'm going to stick up for it because I think it's really good. I and prefer I think Piers Morgan in the mornings, I have to say. I can imagine. Um, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I can, you know, I think that it's really important that we hear those voices, those regional voices. And what the media does, as you well know, is reflect the country. That's the job of the media, is to reflect the lives, the anxieties, the concerns of those people, the ambitions yes. of the people, of the people that it serves, right? And so the media has taken an, uh, has taken a, an advanced role in being more representative of people from regions. The same cannot be said of a lot of private organisations. How many CEOs, top CEOs, um, in those buildings that are opposite that magnificent building that you're in, mm. uh, in the centre of London? How many of those are Northerners and have Northerners? Well, it's interesting you say that because I was going to put this to you, right? I don't know what you think about this, but in some ways you would say that a northern voice is actually a more trustworthy voice because, you know, you've got the kind of Del Boy image of Londoners and the sort of Cockney, uh, you know, flyboy type thing going on. Whereas if you hear a northern voice, you you might, and I, I, maybe this is my reverse prejudice, you might be more trusting of that person. Um, yeah, maybe. And I wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's an underestimating uh, people from the north 
kind of I don't want to I don't want to criticize that point because yeah I'll I'll take it and, and I'll own it and I'll agree with you for sure. I think that what I've I've had a real issue over the last um couple of decades really with the with the way that northern people are portrayed in TV drama for example. Right. We're sort of shifting we're shifting away from this a little bit now but certainly previously certainly throughout history um northern characters have been perceived as being predominantly you know maybe sick or right. you know not not particularly knowing. And I think maybe that that, that plays into it slightly as well that you don't perceive somebody with a northern accent to be a threat and therefore categorise them as being I don't know, maybe more, maybe more trustworthy. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we have, I mean, there are certainly, there are certainly, uh, it's hard to argue against the fact that we have virtues here in the north of England, kindness and compassion that are probably yeah. closer to us than, than they are. And what about, London. I mean, and also you think about some of the northern people that we know, for example, Kay Burley on Sky, who's from yeah. Wigan, right, but does not sound like she's from Wigan. Um, one no. of the points that Andy Burnham makes is that, you know, we haven't had a northern prime minister since Harold Wilson, but with plenty of northern MPs, but an awful lot of people who are MPs from the north of England have changed their voices and have, have sort of watered them down a little bit, um, and they sound more like me than they sound like you. Yeah, totally, and that's exactly what you have to do to try and fit into that room that I've talked about. Yeah, no problem. I don't, I don't sound anything like I sounded when I was 16, 16. Right. I, was, I was so much more northern. My flower, and actually, I have sat in, I can cite a meeting that I sat in with the boss of a radio station who said, um, it was, it, I, was, I was just about to start working for a national radio station, mm. and they said, if you want to do well here and you want to do shows here, your your vowels are too flat. Really? To un, you need to un, yeah, you need to unflatten your vowels. Is that is that something that might have been said a few years back that wouldn't be said now though? I'm almost certain. Yeah, yeah I'm almost certain that wouldn't. And it wasn't. I mean, you said a few years ago. It was only maybe three or four years ago. Okay. Really, that right. to be honest. So it wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. Um, and I didn't really question it at the time. And I didn't actively work on it. I mean, I had a partner. My ex girlfriend is from the south, so I guess that kind of rubbed off on me a little bit as well. But I feel like is she I, still I, your girlfriend? She's not my girlfriend. No, well, what happened? Blackpool, no. Uh, what happened? We drifted. We drifted right, okay. It wasn't, wasn't the North South divide. It wasn't the North No, no, no. We got on. We got on fairnessly. We got on like a house on fire. Uh, although <laughs> she did keep the dog. She kept the dog. But she kept the dog. That's a disgrace. That's a shocker. Less sad about that. Yeah, right. But I, but I certainly feel like I had to. Um, I had to conform. I feel like I've had to alter myself, alter a really key part of my northern identity right. and my, my and my person in order to fit into those rhythms. Yeah. See, it's funny because my parents are both from Scotland, right? Uh, and so I have a sort of affinity with the Scots. And whenever I used to go driving up and down the country from Glasgow to London, I felt much more affinity, strangely... Yeah, Who's that? Somebody... Oh, sorry. It's a... Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've been invaded by some foreign horde. Anyway, look, <laughs> yeah. it was it was you know I'd, I'd 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 feel much more at home in Glasgow than I would in Manchester. Do you know what I mean? It's a sort of it feels as though the north of England and the south of England are two very different places for me. Um, and yet Scotland and the south of England aren't that different. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably uh, that's probably probably fair to say. I, I think there's maybe. Um, there's maybe a, a sort of attitude up here that we're kind of all in it together. But yeah. I, you know, I think I think I'm certainly between Liverpool and Manchester and Leeds and the North East. Um, and yeah, heading up to Edinburgh as well. We all kind of have those that, that same outlook on life. And actually, maybe it's a bit of a maybe it's a bit of an underdog attitude that we've got as well, because we've constantly been uh, outdone by London. We've constantly found ourselves. Um, having to battle a little bit harder to have the same opportunities and choices and chances um, as those have from the south of England. But then um, we can argue about football and, and rock bands for the rest of time, and you'd probably win both of those. 
got you on that, hands down, haven't we, mate? Got you I would on, think so. There's, there's, I would think no so. Argument, there's, there's no argument to be had, mate, <laughs> about that. <laughs> I mean, poor old Frank Lampard, he tried it in Derby for a bit. He just couldn't, he couldn't be that far away from King's Road. He's had to come back so, to manage Chelsea, you know. Yeah, I feel sorry for Ashley Cole now. He's still stranded up in Derby and his, <laughs> his London parlours uh, as he's there. Yeah, I bet he hasn't bought a house there, though. I bet he's, I bet he's commuting. But listen, great to talk to you, Darrell. Are you on the, uh, uh, soon uh, down here? I'm not on this weekend, but I'll be, I'll be back soon, I hope. OK, yeah. excellent stuff. We'll keep, keep the faith and uh, save your money for when you come back to London because it's quite expensive down here. Daryl Morris uh, there, a colonist, northerner, and, of course, uh, a presenter right here on Talk Radio as well. Uh, is he right? He says that uh, there is a discrimination about uh, London towards northern people. Uh, Andy Burnham says that's why we've never had uh, a northern prime minister since Harold Wilson. That can't be right, can it? 0344 499 1000. And are northern people any different from everybody else? We'll take your calls next on Talk Radio. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. It's Friday, of course, which means only one thing. The Perrier Awards coming up a little bit later on. Uh, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week. Uh, hopefully I'll be winning a few of them. 0344-499-1000. Refinances. I've worked all over the country, and this point of view is a victim mentality. We live in the same country and have the same opportunity. Some people in the north think London has swan around in dressing gowns, drinking pink champagne all day. Well, we do. Don't we? Uh, life isn't everybody else. I do. Life is sometimes harder in London. Uh, you can see that I'm not wearing a, uh, a dressing gown at the moment, but as soon as I get away from the cameras, I put one on and pour myself a glass of pink uh, champagne, usually Bollinger, if at all possible. Let's talk to Paul in Wolverhampton. Hello, Paul. Hello, Mike. Hey, right. I'm good, mate. How are you? Are you a northerner would be my first question. Well, is that a classification? Because I come from the Midlands, so right. you've got to go north before you come I don't, north. I don't, just... think, I don't think you are a northerner. Because we we classify southerners anything inside the M25. Right, that's that's fair <laughs> enough. So so what what about somebody from Watford just outside the M25? Uh, well, that's it's, it's, you're close enough. Yeah, yeah. ones you wouldn't let in. That's what it is from. Watford. But but do you do you regard say for example people from Manchester as northerners then? Yeah, we do. That's that, anything that you go past the uh, Stoke is is what we classify as northerners. Okay. So, 
I'll tell Julie Hartley Brewer that because her, her husband's from Stoke and she wasn't sure if he was a northerner or not. Well, you'd have to you'd have to tell her because she doesn't talk to us publicly. <laughs> she's not allowed to. <laughs> I'll pass your message on, Paul. Now, what do you want to tell us? Yeah, it's, well, there's a couple of things. First, about the north and south divide. I mean, I'm I'm a, a northerner. And I work for a, a London company, right. but I, I work all over the country. So, like, you know, you see it all the time. And even, like I say, I go to Newcastle. I'm classified as a southerner. But when we do come into London, I must admit, like your uh, previous caller was saying, it's the, the pace I don't think us northerners can understand of what you have to live about. I mean, when I drive in to pay my congestion charge to do some work down right. there, you know, and you're having to drive like eight miles, and it's taking you 45 minutes to get there. You know, you know, by, that's a by good road. Day. Yeah, good day. That that's is. a good yeah. So yeah. It's a good day. Um, and when you know, you sort of like do the do the people watching, and you look, and everybody is just so busy down there. It's don't, they don't look up, they don't look around. They just they zoned into what they've got to do, and basically they they don't seem to notice anything around them. And I think that's what was the, the, the northern people classified them as probably being rude. They're not rude, they're just busy. Yeah, right. Because uh, so, actually, I mean, a lot, a lot of the time, um, you know, you'll find, the same as New York, you know, if you actually stop and you eventually talk to people in London, they're actually quite friendly. They're not as horrible as you might think. Oh, absolutely, because I work with a couple of contractors that are from um, London and, and around the surrounding areas. And we get on like a house on fire because... I mean, from, being from the Midlands, we've got a sense of humour anyway. We have to, to be, to live there. Um, and But, we, you know, when we're having a laugh and a joke on site and everything, it's such a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a ruckus. I mean, we get on so well, so... It is. When you and do, also, like, it's a very British to... thing, isn't it, to sort of take each other uh, and, and take the mickey out of each other from, because you're from different parts of the country. Let me... Stay where you are, Paul. I'm going to bring Daniel in here because he's from Epsom, Dan Saff, uh, and he's very much a southern boy. Daniel, uh, welcome to the show. I'm only from Epsom now, Mike, so I've, I've, done, I've done well and I've, I've turned a pound note or two, but originally my family have been in Southwark for about 800 years. Yeah, well, years. That, doesn't make, that doesn't make you a northerner just because you started off in Southwark. What do you make of, uh, no, what, no, Paul, no. What do you make of what Paul said? Well, I just think the biggest discriminated group in this country are the Cockneys. I mean, I've had to try and get rid of my real strong um, sort of Cockney accent to, just through work life, really. It's not, it's not worked out well for you, is it? You've still got it, mate. What did it used to be like? You watch a documentary from the 70s, and that, that's a proper Cockney accent. Yeah. You know, but my, my, and we're the most discriminated group in the country. We've been leaving our own city for about 60-odd years. Does it, does uh, it, does it, I mean, does, do you find that people think you're a bit of a wide boy because of the way you talk? Well, this is it. Everyone thinks you're a bit whoosh and you're a bit way. You know, you know you're, a, you're a dodgy geezer. The right. thing is, I am in... I, I, I sell sort of bifolded high security doors all over London, West London, primarily in Surrey. And, you know, I, when I turn up for my appointments, I don't generally talk like this. I fade it out because, right. you know, we are. And I, I would say, when, did, when was the last Cockney Prime Minister? You know, there's never been one. And we're the most discriminated group in the entire country. Right. So much well, so. I'll tell you what, I'm going, to ask, I'm, going to ask, I'm going to come back to Paul. Paul, how do you treat Southerners like, uh, like Daniel, Cockney boys? What, how do you treat them when they come up to Wolverhampton? Well, I just was going to ask him if he's got a Rolex tucked into his <laughs> inside of his jacket sort of thing, but... Yeah, I mean, like I was saying to you before... Go on, Daniel. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a tag. <laughs> there you go. He's got a tag. Much more uh, low-key. But the thing is, is, I mean, I think it's even harder for people outside of this country. They don't understand our sarcasm and our wit. Right. You know, it, it, it's a basic case that we can take the mickey out of each other. Um, and, you know, you, you do do it. It's, it's, a, it's a given thing, mm. isn't it? 
you know, you see somebody from the States and yeah. you've got to have that bit of banter. Also, if you but, go to America or somewhere, right, and, and Daniel, I don't know whether you found this, but people think you, everyone in England speaks like something out of Downton Abbey. You know, when, they, when, you, yeah, when you start talking to them in a way which is different, they kind of look at you like they don't think you're from England. I tell you what I did do, Mike. I got stopped by the police driving a, uh, a jet ski in a no-wake zone where people live, and I was I went down it doing about fifty on this jet ski. Right. And when this cop on, when the when the cop pulled me over, I did turn into Hugh Grant. I went, oh, I've made an absolute terrible. Mistake. <laughs> that wasn't a great idea uh, in front of the American police. It, I, they arrested him. I got, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't doing what he was doing. Thank but God I got for away that, with it, Mike. I got away with it. I turned all Lord Snooty and I got away with it. <laughs> I think that's the way to go. So what about, have you ever been up to Wolverhampton, Daniel? Have you found any discrimination oh, up there? Yeah, I had a night out, uh, out one night in a nightclub. I think Stan Collimore was in there when I went out there one night. Oh, good uh, to be honest with you, you, yeah, you, to be honest with you, yeah, I stayed up there. I did all right. Uh, I was young and single at the time, but uh, I seemed to do all right with the women up there, yeah. That's not what I asked you, Daniel. They say, Paul, they think they can come to your town and pick up all the women. Yeah, but it all depends whether they're out or whether they're out, out innit? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think yeah, we may have to call this to a halt before it gets out of hand. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, I mean, on another point of view, obviously, um, just going on the point of your Extinction Rebellion. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I was absolutely um, raging the other week when they were doing a protest. Because they don't realise actually how much damage they are doing. Yeah, right. Like I say, I'm a commercial gas engineer and I was on call and I had a call out on the weekend to go down to London. Uh, and the call, it took me nearly four and a half hours once I was inside London because of what they were because doing. Because of all the bridges we closed, yeah. Um, and where I had to go to was a care home for people with terminal illnesses. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, and they had no hot water to wash the patients or anything like that. And it was all down to the Extinction Rebellion um, doing their protest. Mm. That's and awful, that's what isn't it? they don't realise, what they're doing. Well, this is it. They're uh, terribly selfish, Paul, I have to say. Listen, guys, thank you so much. Daniel in Epsom, Paul in Wolverhampton, great conversation. And what I, what I love about this country, right, is that everybody who comes from different parts of it uh, can have a laugh and a shout with everybody else. I don't think Andy Burnham's got it right to say that Northerners are discriminated against. I think the fact is, yes, there's a bit of mickey-taking, there's a bit of joshing, there's a bit of banter maybe, but surely it's wrong to say that if you're from the north of England, you can't get on in London. You can't become an MP. You can't become a Prime Minister. But you may have a different view. In which case, do let me know. 0344 499 1000. Tweet us at Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far <laughs> enough. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.34 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's a new version, isn't it? No. You sure? Yeah. Sounds sure. a bit new. Uh, we are, of course, uh, in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is Friday. Therefore, uh, even though it's July the 5th, there is still time for a special Perrier Awards. I don't know if it's Independence Day themed, is it? Because that was uh, yesterday. Uh, no, it's not. Excellent. Con Mendes is here, as ever, to deliver the said awards. Uh, welcome and uh, good afternoon. Thank you. Yes, let's begin. It let's is do it. the Perry Awards. This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent so-called. Republic of Mike Graham yeah. and choose our very favourite moments. Lots of great clips to get through this week. So uh, really? let's begin. Yeah, our first win- winner, as tradition dictates, is you, Mike. Thank goodness. Uh, you won Best Joke of the Week last week, you remember. And guess what? You've won worst joke of the week this week. 
Yeah, well, he, according to this newspaper, he was um, banned from the National Executive for speaking at a Leave Means Leave oh, rally. Yeah. Yes, I remember seeing that uh, on Twitter that he was kicked out. How scandal is that? It's all right to let Chris Williamson back in, though. Oh, of course. Yeah. And listen, you know, kind of get down to uh, listen to McCluskey and all these other. What's the uh, what's the paper uh, What's the paper called, by the way? Is it the No European? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's really funny. It's a kind of a media joke, so I understand why you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, no, it just got such a non-reaction. Uh, <laughs> well, from... Mike in York famously kind of plays a straight bat on everything. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of Mike in York, yeah. uh, him and you win this next one. Uh, for When you were talking about Gary Lineker, you both won Exchange of the Week. And it gets to uh, break the... Uh the BBC um, licence uh, trusts yeah. um, by campaigning for uh, staying in, remaining. Oh, yeah, but he's allowed to do that, apparently, because he's not a news journalist. Well, what's, what's sport? Well, it's not news, is it? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that was quite a good exchange. What's yeah. sport? It's not news. Yeah, it's the news and sport. That's it's why news that and sport. Yeah, exists, that's why we yeah. break it up. Uh, speak, this is news. Last week's news reader of the week, Rachel Jewell, retains her title. She wins the Perrier, uh, named the Spit It Out Award. Face the wrong way as the EU anthem Ode to Joy was played. The party leader was criticised for being disrespectful. <laughs> That's good. Not quite as good as last week's, but no. very good, nonetheless. Uh, hopefully we'll get one every week yeah. from Rachel now. Uh, callers, we should do. Uh, let's begin with Neil in Macclesfield. He wins the Grime Fan of the Week. Uplifted by uh, Breezy's performance at the weekend. It was uh, really, really excellent, I thought. It was uh, nice to see all the young boys and girls enjoying themselves. Whose performance? Uh, uh, Breezy. 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 Do you mean Stormzy? It's, oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I see what he did there. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very, good. very uh, good. Myrtle in Bournemouth made her first call to the Indep- Independent Republic this week. Uh, she was slightly nervous, bless her, uh, but she did win best debut. 0344 Let's talk to Myrtle, uh, who is in Bournemouth. Hello, Myrtle. Hello, Graham. Mike, Mike sorry. Me. That's OK. Call me <laughs> yeah, Mike, that's fine. Don't worry. Well, she's not the only one. Yeah, well, uh, now, it would take a mean person to put a nervous first-time caller in the Perrier Awards, uh, especially twice, but here thank I good, am. Thank goodness she didn't do that. Uh, well, no, here I am. She also wins the Perrier for Helper of the Week, which really should go to Mr Myrtle in Bournemouth. To the BBC? Yeah, even if you don't watch it, which is crazy, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, we can get the BBC through Sky, (laughs) can't we? Yeah, tell him to pipe down. Make me call himself if he wants to talk to me. Uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) But welcome to the show. Do ring in again. Thanks for listening as well. Um, Head of the National Obesity Forum, Tam Fry now. He wins compliment of the week for this out-of-context comment. In your republic, Mr Graham, you are a model and ideal parent. <laughs> very kind of him, Tam. He's an absolute, very perspicacious uh, young individual. <laughs> uh, oh, returning the favour there. Um, well, here at the Independent Republic, we pride ourselves on clear and concise conversation. It's true. Uh, that is easy to follow for the layman. Uh, that's why Mike, uh, you, <laughs> and independent retail expert Claire Bailey yeah. win the Couldn't Be Clearer Award. I can't let you have this conversation, Claire, without calling it a known unknown. You've got to call it a known unknown. You have to. Okay, it's a, and a known unknown. It's then. a known unknown. So we know, we know that something is going to happen that will have an impact. When you don't know, you know that 
mostly the and retailers that's, a, that's are an unknown unknown. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I yeah. do like a known unknown. I, I love that. I don't, I don't know what that is. Have you never heard the whole no. Donald Rumsfeld thing? When he had he had a very similar. I mean, he invented the known unknown, the known known, and the unknown unknown. I mean, it's brilliant. You no, know what you put in a garden. This uh, guy was in charge of American foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. Donald Rumsfeld. I know he is. I just yeah. don't know what known unknown is. Uh, it wouldn't be the Perry Awards without a certain someone from Exeter, of right, course. Yes. Uh, Susan, congratulations for winning. Peria for the greeting of the week. Susan is in Exeter. Hello, Susan. Hi, bro. How are you doing? <laughs> what do you call me? <laughs> bro. Bro. Okay. Hey, bro. Yeah, Sorry, I didn't realise if you joined a gang or something. <laughs> <It's my brother. laughs> bro. <sighs> Bro, I think I've never. I wasn't expecting that. That's why I couldn't quite work out what she'd called me. I think every caller uh, should do that, really. (laughs) Uh, Now, Mike, you're a modern man. Indeed. uh, So it only makes sense that you carry all the latest tech. Uh, You win Gadget of the Week. Excellent. Or a million different kinds of tins of tomatoes that you have to work out by the kilogram because they market them differently and they price them differently and you have to go in there with an abacus and at least five computers (laughs) to work out which tomatoes are actually the cheapest. Yeah. I didn't actually mean going there really with an abacus. Well, I mean, it was a figure of speech. You'd need two trolleys for an abacus um, and five computers. Not really. No. no. And you see, now you're showing yourself up. You know, you can get a computer that's only the size of a phone. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, five okay. of those you wouldn't need to put in a trolley. And an abacus is very small, about the size of an iPad. Okay, I don't know how it would work with tin tomatoes, but there we go. Yeah, you uh, could make a, an abacus out of tin tomatoes, actually, if you want to just carry on. With yeah, a good idea for next week's show. Excellent. Uh, um, uh, Maybe Mike. Boris Johnson could make as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's crafty. <laughs> uh, Mike, you also win the tiniest violin moment of the week. Yeah. Mark Donaldson from ESPN down at Wimbledon. What a great job covering Wimbledon tennis for two weeks. All those strawberries and cream, all that champagne, uh, all the glamour, uh, all the sunshine. And we're stuck in a a studio here uh, with barely anything but coffee. (laughs) Yes. It's nice coffee, though, isn't it? It is nice coffee, yeah, it's true. And it's free as well. Oh, nice. Uh, And this accolade normally goes to a listener... But it's you this week, Mike. You have won Wrong Namer of the Week. Terry in Somerset, however, uh, would like to say something as well. Terry, hi. Hi, it's actually Kerry, but that's OK. I said uh, Terry, hi, didn't hi, I? What did I say? Oh, uh, Kerry. Uh, no, I said no, I definitely said Terry. It must have sounded like Kerry. Sorry, Terry. It is Kerry, that's fine. <laughs> oh, it's Kerry. <laughs> Sorry, I did say Terry. It's not... I thought you said it was... I said Kerry, but it was, in fact, Terry. We should probably move on. <laughs> I thought she said it's Terry, and I said that's what I said. That's why I thought she yeah. said yeah. Terry the first time. We, we know what went on there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a but it didn't fun. sound like she said it's Kerry the first time. No, I would have just flowed with it, but there you go. Well, anyway, never mind. Um, but incorrect names have been she a bit of a theme. She was a good caller, though. Yeah, she was. Incorrect names have been a good theme this week. Uh, Myrtle in Bournemouth, we heard earlier. Yourself and Kerry Terry. Uh, anyway, Robert in Dulwich wins the Repeat Offender oh, Award. Yes. Just say no. That's the, Mate, that's the phrase, I, Robert. No, no, you're right, but here's the thing, Graham. Last you call me Mike, I, please. I left... Well, I'll start calling <laughs> you Dulwich. I can call you Daddy. <laughs> when you call me, you can call me out. That's OK. Call me yeah, Mike. That's fine. Don't worry. Very uh, musical this week. Yeah, it is. Very good. Just, uh, just inspired. Uh, mm-hmm. That is it. That is it. That's the end? Yeah, that that's is the last the one? That's the last one. I that's wasn't the, prepared uh, for that. The big finale. Okay. Uh, that's it for the Perry Awards. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> There'll be more next more week. More next week. Yeah. The Perrier Awards.
on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.